0: Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I am pleased to say that we are joined by Neha Bansal, Product Manager at Google for the Google Analytics Intelligence Team, which is what helps turn all that data into insights. So welcome, Neha. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. All right, Neha, if we can start just to give our audience a little bit of background on you, uh, and then because roles of product managers are so different at different companies, talk a little bit about what the role of product management is at Google.
1: I grew up in India, and uh, I did my undergrad in economics and statistics from Lady Sriram College in New Delhi. After that, I got fascinated about the business world. And therefore, I worked in consulting for five years, serving financial services clients. I did a lot of data analytics and uh, got uh, very interested in the uh, analytics field in general. And just to explore what else is out there in the world, I decided to pursue my MBA. I went to Columbia University and graduated uh, in 2018. And post that, I joined Google as a product manager. My role at Google, as Rebecca already mentioned, entails... uh, leading the end-to-end uh, product go vision uh, from uh, vision to execution for the Google Analytics intelligence team. Now, in terms of uh, what does the role of a PM mean at Google, given that Google is the company that pioneered the product manager as a role, it is a very, very well-rounded role at my company. The role is, uh, is uh, defined as somewhat like a CEO of a company, whereby you're actually not doing anything, but you are responsible for everything. And I say that with humor because uh, of course, there's a lot of deliverables on the PM's plate, but uh, there is also a lot of uh, managing what other people are working on and making sure that people are successful along with the product. In terms of uh, the day-to-day life as a PM at Google, it is uh, very much focused on First, understanding uh, and uh, laying down what will be the next year or two year and five year vision for the product. Where do we see the product going? And then we focus uh, on the strategy. And finally, we nail down the roadmap. And once we have that laid out, we then move on to the execution stage. For each of the products, and once and that that it's that is followed by a launch, and then eventually, as product managers and owners, we are also responsible for landing the features or the product, and that's what makes the role very exciting at Google because you get to see the entire uh, birth and the nurturing and the uh, you know the entire germination of the thing that you've been working on. So that makes it very very fascinating.
0: That's great. That's a great explanation, and I think one of the and it leads right into our discussion today because as you talked about. For product teams, there's a lot of deliverables. uh, And all of those deliverables really represent a lot of decisions that had to be made. And I think decision-making, strong decision-making is such a core part of strong product management. And I know uh, you have very similar thoughts. So I would love to kind of uh, double click, as I say, on that and talk a little bit more about it um, and maybe to help set that stage. Uh, we could talk a little bit about the type of decisions. And when you're talking about that whole life cycle that you own. What are some of the types of decisions that product managers own at Google and even you know in the wider sense?
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So when I think of decision making, let me put those in two broad buckets. One aspect of decision making is unblocking my team. And the second aspect is ensuring that decisions get made. Right now, let's talk about the first bucket, unblocking my team. Now, here, obviously, resources are very expensive in any company for that matter. So as a product manager, it is important for me to make sure that my team members, including engineers, designers, marketing, sales, finance, customer support, every single team has the required ammunition to do their jobs well. And in the process, often they get stuck. So it is the product manager that they look up to to make sure that they are unblocked, right? So a lot of decision-making needs to be done to make sure that my team members are unblocked. And to give you some examples, the, those type of decisions are usually things like, for example, what needs to be built and what does not need to be built, right? So often people have are very passionate about lots of things. There's a huge list of features that need to be done, but what needs to be built, having a clear roadmap there will unblocks my engineering team. And so that's one. Second example is what would be uh, the MVP that we will launch for the a particular product. So having um, clear decisions around what will that first product that we put out in the market look like, again, unblocks a lot of the teams because they can then plan for that particular version of the the first version of the product. The second aspect, which I mentioned is Ensuring decisions are made. What I mean by that is often it could be that it is not the product manager just making the decision. The product manager is also uh, herding the entire organization towards making a decision. For example, the how we, for example, decide what is our vision for a particular product. So that is never a one-person decision. It always involves the leadership, your coworkers, your peers, and everyone on the team. So for that, it is my job as a product manager to ensure that I take everyone along with me and make sure that a decision is made within a certain amount of time. And uh, yeah, so those are, you know, I would say some of some examples of the types of decisions we make.
0: Those are great examples. And I, I loved when you were talking about the roadmap, it's what to build and what not to build, because let's both be honest, that not to build is, is maybe as important um, as anything else. So, uh, Talking about the, the types of decision, what does a good decision look like to you? That's a great question. Uh, from experience, what I've seen is usually a good
1: decision has two requirements. One, it uses the right amount of information for making a decision. And secondly, it is done quickly and or, or within a time frame that everybody feels comfortable about. So let me double click a little bit on that when i say using the right amount of information what i mean is that sometimes let's say if you have if i have to make a decision and i need to spend how much time i spend on gathering information for making that decision is a, is a very fine balance sometimes i can make a decision with 20% of the data that i wish i had right and sometimes it i know that this decision will have so much impact that i need to have at least 80% of the data so having that sense that what will be the impact of the decision based on how and based on that how much data is needed is super critical. Now you may wonder that, but how do I know? And that is where I believe that um, a lot of uh, intuition and ex- experience comes in. Often, you know, when when I started off as an analyst, I would be very very rigorous to make sure I have all of my ducks lined up and uh, you would end up spending too much time. Yes, you probably made a very good decision, and it was very well tied up. But if if you I spent like two months trying to get there, maybe the opportunity was already gone by then. So you want to avoid such situations. But now, over experience uh, over uh, experience of having been in the industry for ten years now, I know how much information is needed and what are the risks involved, right? And then the other aspect about uh, you know quick decision making there is no uh, trust me the, nobody gets any credit if you make a decision in like let's say 10 minutes and it was absolutely wrong and not thoughtful people will hate it right so it's about really realizing okay how much time can i spend on it and again you have to know whether it's an is it, it's a reversible decision or an irreversible decision for example if there is a huge uh, security threat or something like that if it happens you know that this, the stakes are high. You have to react and act fast. Whereas if it's um, something else, which will have an impact maybe two years down the line, sure, you can. You should be more. One should be more thoughtful about it, and they can take the required amount of time.
0: And I, I think those are things everybody struggles with, right? The sort of analysis paralysis uh, and being able to balance sort of the the overall understanding you have with the specific data to make that thing. And I think your last point there is also really smart right? To sort of measure the risk of the decision and use that to help balance into how deep into research you need to go. Um, and I think that's a really smart approach to, to again, finding the right balance between uh, deep data and quick decision-making. What else do you do uh, in, your, in your career? And do you help, I know you mentor a lot of people, help them? What other hints would you give them of how, you, how to make decisions well?
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Rebecca, fundamentally, when I am making a decision, I have I always start with a framework in mind. So I use a framework where I will look at a couple of different aspects. One being my goals. What is the goal of this problem that I'm trying to solve? Will my decision help me achieve those goals? Second thing is the reach and impact, right? How much impact will my decision have? Not just if it succeeds, but also if it fails. What is the other side of it? And then the uh, usually another aspect of it is how is this decision irreversible? I always do a you know measure my decision against that metric because then I know okay even if I fail, I can roll back things. So that uh, having a framework is is very like super helpful. And it also makes my team often feel comfortable that I've thought about a decision from different aspects. Second uh, big thing for me is uh, when it comes to decision-making is listening. Listening to your team members in different meetings and in one-on-ones and just in general very intently because I've seen that listening across an organization and keeping your ears wide open helps you subconsciously understand a lot of things. That has uh, built my sense of intuition, right? So as a product manager, I am often placing bets on my product when I'm deciding the vision or the roadmap. And I have seen that along with my technical expertise and what we can achieve as a team, the talent, Just knowing, having a solid intuition, which is built on listening to your customers, to your teammates, to everyone around you has helped me a lot. So, yeah. So I think just to summarize, I would say one is having a solid framework in mind uh, that you can lean on for decision making is important. And second is having intuition, which is built on being a careful listener is super, uh, super helpful.
0: You talk about using that framework. Is that something you also teach your team members to use and leverage in their own? Do they come and say, hey, uh, this is what I think we should do. Here's how this kind of scores on the framework. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I have done that because, you know, as a team, uh,
1: you learn from each other a lot and we have ended up exchanging uh, a little bit on the styles as well, especially among fellow PMs. We all uh, have a knowledge sharing sessions internally where we tell each other that, hey, this is how I made this tough decision. Just to give you an example, we had to, I had to make a decision on how much should I invest in building this very sophisticated recommendation engine that our engineering team wanted to build, right? So it sounded like a really cool project and the engineering team was super excited about doing it and because it's a you know it's a phenomenal engineering challenge to solve to build an ml driven recommendation engine but then i made a decision which was way on the other extreme and i said that no we're not doing that we are building a very basic rule based five rule uh, feature and we'll just see how things go right now my team members asked me that hey how why are you making this extreme decision which is not that technically uh, sexy or cool, you know. And at that point, I explained to them that, hey, this is the framework I used. So my framework basically first involved the data. I looked at the data of uh, what types of um, features my current users were already using, and I saw that there was a very clear 80-20 divide. Eighty like percent of the usage was limited to five features, and that's why I said, okay, you know, when we know it's just five things, we can we should just go with that instead of trying to recommend anything else. Right. So being data driven helped me a lot because that was that's always part of my framework. And then secondly, I also talked about the reach. And we said that, you know, this approach saves us about 80 percent in terms of uh, how much we are investing uh, engineering time. Because what I recommended took us three weeks to build, whereas this fancy engine would have taken us about three to four months. So it's about saving money on that effort and also on the impact. Like I knew that users will trust it very quickly because people generally take time to trust anything that's ML or AI versus something that's very, very dumb and, you know, straightforward.
0: So there's a confidence they bring to it uh, that they're ready to live with and you get there faster. So great example and i mean you think about it you're like okay so we're talking about a framework uh listening it like it feels really easy decision making should be a piece of cake but we both know that that's not the not the case so what do you think makes it so hard
1: hmm that's a great question um i'm thinking aloud here for me personally what has made decision making hard are a couple of things first of all for decisions that i know i'm solely responsible for it is sometimes the fear of failure there is all as a product manager there is a lot on your shoulder in terms of your team's responsibility their hopes their dreams you know every feature you launch they my team is trusting me that okay Neha has done enough research and this product or feature will be successful and we will all then be a happier team right so that sometimes does create pressure on a product manager and it could lead to a fear of failure. And because of that, as a PM, one could be in this vicious cycle where you're just spending more and more time and trying to get more and more data to make that decision. So I think that is something people, uh, product managers should watch out for. You need to create a safe, secure mental space where you can make decisions and be okay knowing that you can fail. And you need to have a conversation about that upfront with your team as well again and again. That's super important and I'm very lucky that I have a team like that where we talk about failure so confidently and so comfortably that it allows us to do a lot of experiments and take a lot of risks. The second part about what makes decision making hard I think is the buy-in process. So often in larger organizations or any organization for that matter, A decision-making involves a lot of discussion and negotiation with different team members, leadership, so on and so forth. And um, sometimes it is hard to get many people in one room and make a decision quickly, right? Because people have conflicting interests and opinions and thoughts, and they're mostly all well-intentioned, but it's just about getting them on the same page. So I think there have been times when for making one decision, we have gone through like months of discussions. And there are times when, you know, someone will just stand up in the room and say, okay, we are doing this and we need to decide today. So it's always, uh, you know, it's always a balance between how much time, as I said before, how much time you can spend on a decision, but it's definitely on the product manager to help, to communicate to everyone that what is the need, what is the speed that is needed to make a decision? Like if the impact is going to be massive, it is the PM's job to stand up in the room and say, hey guys, we need to make a decision today. Otherwise, this is what we are losing. Showing that um, impact is very, very important. And that's how you can uh, help your team speed up. So yeah, just to summarize, like two big things I feel that makes it hard hard sometimes, decision-making, is one is the fear of failure from making wrong decisions. And second is getting buy-in from uh, your teams.
0: I think uh, particularly with the getting buy-in, that sometimes where product managers I've seen fall down is when they're so... They have such intimacy with their own product and their own market that the decision is, it's is frankly quite obvious to them, right? They're like, oh, mm-hmm. obviously this is the answer, but they forget that so much of that context and intimacy lives in their own head um, mm-hmm. and that they still need to bring people along. I, I think those, those things that those, those obvious decisions, quote unquote, are actually the ones where that can, can trip people up the most because they didn't stop and recognize sort of how far back or or how deep they needed to bring the rest of the organization along on their already uh, sort of uh, into their knowledge that they have.
1: I absolutely agree with you, Rebecca. I think that's a very good point. And uh, I would love to talk a little bit about uh, how do we get buying for decision-making because I've been involved with this since like my consulting time and that experience helped me a lot, even uh, uh, translated, even in a uh, product management. So, um, you know, to this whole point of how do we get buy-in for decisions, I think there are about four steps there. First is documenting your own thought process. Often I've seen that uh, uh, people do not invest enough time to write down what you ha- are thinking and why, and what does it mean overall, like the whole perspective on it. Right? I think just making few pretty slides and then going into a decision-making meeting is not enough. You have to document it very well, the entire thinking, even if it takes time from uh, time out from your day-to-day work. That's one. Second is identifying your stakeholders. Now, for every decision, there are different stakeholders involved who have varying degrees of influence. And therefore, it is important as a pream to identify those stakeholders and understand how much influence they have on that decision. Now, you might, you might argue that how do I know how much influence people have on some decisions if you're working with them for the first time? Well, that, again, happens through doing your homework. It is critical to do your homework and understand who is involved and why and what is the historical context, what is this person's uh, goals uh, in career or just generally in the organization. That understanding is what will help you know how much a person can influence something or how much a person wants Something really badly, and how badly. The third thing is having one-on-one discussions. I cannot emphasize enough on this, because um, in all of my mentorship chats, when I talk to aspiring PMs, people have said that, "Hey, I go into a meeting and I try. To, I'm presenting something and asking for a decision, and all of the conflicts happen right there, and the meeting gets totally derailed." And that's when I ask them, "That did you did you meet every stakeholder one-on-one before the group meeting?" And 90% of the time, the answer is no. So I do, for the listeners today, I want to emphasize that it is so important to have one-on-one discussions with different stakeholders before you get into the big room, because that's when you can re- that's when, because people speak up their true minds. They will tell you honestly what they think about the idea and where is it falling short of their expectations. And when, I, so for me, when I do these one-on-ones, I have my uh presentation for the group meeting ready and i'll go in and say hey this is what i'm thinking this is the whole plan what what do you think about it what are your concerns that i can help address and people are very happy to share those in um individual conversations and then i negotiate when needed uh, or if not needed it's a great thumbs up and then i know this person's on my side and the final point is the big group meeting right where the decision where the buy-in needs to be done Honestly, at that point, that meeting is really ceremonial most of the time, because you know, hopefully, all of your stakeholders are already sold on the idea. And then, in that big meeting, it shouldn't be the product manager or the uh, the leader trying to convince people. It should just be people who who have uh, whom uh, you know your stakeholders with whom whom uh, who have already agreed. They should just be the one voicing their support for you and they should be the one saying that yes i support neha in this decision and we should go ahead for reasons abc right so that's when i think that a pm has done a great job at their one-on-one discussions i know i know this has been a long answer but those are the four steps i've i followed to
0: get buy-in from stakeholders i think though to your point that they, they... They're such a, a difference maker, and right? If you don't cut them, and I know it can be hard and you feel like, oh, I'm selling everybody twice, but, but to your point, not really. You're having the conversations, you're giving them the safe space to ask questions and, and get buy-in. And then that last meeting is really just everybody acknowledging to each other, right? It's sort of the public acknowledgement of what they've already agreed to. So uh, mm-hmm. it's such a powerful technique and absolutely worth the time it takes uh, in, in order to do that. All right. So we talked a lot today about a lot of different things. And I would love if you could just kind of pull out two things, right, that you would like people to do differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today. What would that be? Sure.
1: Two things that I would recommend people do differently if they are struggling with decision-making. One is the one-on-ones. As I said, there's, i cannot emphasize enough on the value of that so if you're not doing one-on-ones with your stakeholders invest your time in that initially it will feel that it's too much of hard work but slowly you'll become an expert at that as well the second thing i would say is uh, evaluating the impact if your decision turns out to be wrong is important it is very important to lay when you ask some asking someone to sign off on your decision to say that hey this fails, here is what we lose. So having that conversation out and upfront early on makes everyone in the room take a breath of sigh and feel very comfortable that we, okay, we know if we fail, this is it. That's it. And that's not a big deal, you know, often. So I would say doing those two things are super important.
0: I love it. Valuing the impact, impact, making sure everyone is aware of that. And then those one-on-one conversations with people. 100% 100% agree. Also loved a lot of the other things you mentioned about you know, using that framework, that the act of intentional listening and really uh, understanding you need to create a safe space to kind of get that fear of failure out. Uh, so all good stuff. Really appreciate your time today, Neha. And thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, Rebecca. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. Awesome. All right. So that does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.